Welcome to Liberated Living Ministries with John and Beverly Sheesby. You are listening to the Seed to Seed message for November 2021. For more information on this podcast and other resources, please visit our website, liberatedliving.com. Grace to you and greetings to you from a soggy Bixby, Oklahoma. I'm standing up in our games room and looking out the window and seeing the copious rain that is falling. This is the system that came into the northwestern part of the country, brought floods to Northern California. And so we've got a soggy, rainy day today. And so I'm standing at my new lectern. I decided after all this time, instead of doing makeshift stuff to get a lectern, and it's a real sturdy one, and so I can get with the program. Uh, I'm used to sitting in the chair, but I think I get a little lazy sitting in the chair, so it's just as well for me to rather stand and speak to you. Bev and I have been really believing God to get to the beach for a spell, and uh, this hasn't happened all summer long, and then we got a surprise Last week, when we were contacted from ShopFix Academy, they have an event in November whereby uh, shop owners can pay for uh, going down to Mexico in at the Four Seasons Resort, Punta Mita, just close to Puerto Vallarta. And evidently one couple couldn't make it and they decided to donate their trip to Bev and I. And so we are going down to the Four Seasons in Punta Mita and we are so looking forward to that. We'll be going down on the 7th, returning on the 11th of November. And then we'll be in Hogansville, the 13th and the 14th, Saturday night the 13th and Sunday, both services on the 14th. If you want to join us, you can go to their website, Grace Covenant Worship Center in Hogansville and check out the times. And if you're in Georgia, we'd love to see you there. So we're excited about the beach and Hogansville, going back to the people we love there. Uh, We love Pastor Alex and Sister Jill, they're precious friends to us, and we love the people in that fellowship. And we've been going there now for so many years and have a wonderful relationship with them. And so we look forward to that. Well, this month, I want to continue in the subject of the generosity of grace. I hope you have enjoyed the study. I've thoroughly enjoyed digging into the word and uh, just discover this amazing generosity of the grace of God. It's it's an amazing gift to us under the new covenant. I wish that somehow by the Spirit I could take every believer and turn their face toward the cross, not because of the death of Jesus on the cross and all the sufferings which religion likes to highlight, but because of the new covenant that Jesus gave his life to secure for us. And we don't live on the other side of the cross. We live on this side of the cross and that new covenant and all the significance of that for us and the generous grace of God that we have received through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. I wish And I remember reading of John G. Lake having the same concept that he wished he could he could just turn the faces of God's people to this side of the cross 
and his message was from 1 John 4, as he is, so are we in this world, not as he was the suffering servant, not as he was even the human Jesus on earth, but as he is now the glorious resurrected son of God in his immortality and we have the eternal life that he has with the father in heaven and as he is so are we in this world and if only we could grasp that it would change so many things about the way that we live and so I want to dig some more into this whole concept and I want to go back to the original verse that started my meditation in this whole area which is Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32 uh, where he says, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. What I want to do is I want to read the entire section that he starts, Paul starts at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. I've said this before and I need to reiterate it again. If Paul says you should no longer do this, he's really saying there is a possibility for believers who have been born again of the Spirit of God, but to still walk as the Gentiles walk. The state in which they walk is the futility of their minds. That doesn't mean their minds are empty, but it means futility. They're going nowhere. They have no destination. They're aimlessly wandering. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. So he's saying it's possible for us to live alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness or the hardening, the petrification of their hearts. So many people, because of past wounds, because of disappointments, because of betrayal, have hardened their hearts to the point that they cannot believe that God is as good as he really is, who are suspicious of God because they have been abused by those who claim to represent God. And so because of the hardness of heart, so many people are ignorant of who the Father is. Furthermore, what has happened is because of the confusion of covenants, so many people don't understand that the revelation of God as father began with Jesus when he came into this world and he came and revealed, as he said in John 17, I have declared to them your name. And what was the name that he declared? Father. And we have received, as we're going to see from Ephesians chapter one, we have received adoption into the family of God. We have been placed in his family as sons and daughters. And so we are heirs of all the bounties of his grace and his goodness to us. That's our position. That's what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. And so uh, you can live alienated from the life of God. You can live in ignorance of all that is yours. And so many believers unfortunately do because they are misinformed by believing the admixture of old covenant with new covenant and thinking that all the blessings of God are conditional upon their performance, upon their obedience, upon their dedication and their devotion. Tragically, so many live bereft of the full of the life that is theirs in God because they are 
ignorant because of the hardness of their hearts, he says. So we go on. The next verse, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness and greediness, but you have not so learned Christ. So he's bringing them back to the foundations of what they have learned in Christ. And this is what he says, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, he's not wanting to cast doubt there. He's saying since, since you have heard of him and you've been taught the truth, the fundamental truths there that are in Jesus. And these are the fundamental truths that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, the old you, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So if he exhorts them to do this, to put off the old, be renewed in the spirit of the mind and to put on the new, they are capable of doing exactly what he says. He's exhorting them to put off, be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new man. Now, the key to that is the renewing of the mind. And since he says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, you understand this is not just learning facts. This is a spiritual revelatory process of knowing the truth and the truth changing you on the inside. And when it changes you on the inside, it changes your behavior and the old you drops away. And the new you that you have created to be in Christ Jesus becomes a reality in your life. And so this is a process, putting off the old, being renewed in the spirit of your mind and putting on the new. Many of you have experienced this as you've come into grace and as grace has reprogrammed you with who the who God's character really is, his love for you, your relationship to him as a son and a daughter to the father, as you have been renewed in your mind and reprogrammed with the truth of who you are and what God has done for you in Jesus Christ, you've discovered that stuff that you tried to get rid of of the old life just seem to have fallen away and you're being changed you're being transformed be transformed by the renewing of your mind it's such a powerful truth and it's such a simple truth and so many of us have struggled and struggled to be transformed instead of understanding that it's as i receive the spirit of revelation to renew my mind that the transformation takes place within me you put on the new man which was created according to God. You are born of his seed. You have his DNA within you. That's who you are. And so when your mind is renewed, the true you, the new you is able to come forth and produce its fruit within you. I love the, the characterization of the Bible that we are fruit bearers because fruit is it, it just comes up within the tree. It comes out of the root from which we're grafted in. We're grafted into the vine. And the fruit is simply the product of who we are in Christ, what he has created us to be. And his new life within us, the DNA of our Father, begins to show forth in our behavior, in our attitudes, in our speech, in our conduct, in our hope for the future, in our faith and confidence in the Father and in the that he is faithful to his promises. So then he goes in to put 
feet to, to what he has just taught. Therefore, he says, now this is the application, putting away lying. So what are we to put off? Lying. How do you lie? You speak lies. You believe lies. Okay, putting away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So what are you to put on? Not truth, but speaking the truth. Speaking the truth. How easy it is, particularly in this time that we're living in, when you're being bombarded by the most, there's a wicked spirit of deception that is out in the world, that is in, in the media. And if you're exposing yourself to that spirit of deception and lying, then the words that are coming out of your mouth are going to contradict what God says about you, what God says about his kingdom. Remember, we've looked at Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah was living in the midst of people who were assessing the situation. And when he got into the presence of the Lord and he heard the, the seraphim saying, the whole earth is full of his glory, he suddenly realized, I'm declaring how bad everything is. He says the whole earth is full of his glory. And he said, woe is me for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the, the king, the Lord of hosts. He gets a correction when he sees the truth. But what he realized was, he was influenced in what he was saying by what people were saying around him. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Speaking the truth with your neighbor. And I want to encourage you again, child of God. This is really, this is such an important period in time for you to be in the word, to be in communion with God, to be listening to what the spirit of God is saying, to hearing from heaven and hearing what's going on in the heaven in heavens, not what is going on in the earth, because there is a great <laughs> manifestation of the kingdom of God in these days than ever before. And the contrast between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of this world is so great. And as I shared with you last month, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is from God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. You can't receive from the spirit of the world and receive revelation of the things given to you by God. It is only by receiving the Holy Spirit of God and his revelation that you'll know these things. So, What's the th thing by which you renew your mind in that? Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. And so my mind has to be renewed by this reality that I am a member of the body of Christ and we're members of one another. And if I lie against you, I'm hurting the body of Christ. I'm hurting me indirectly because we are members of one another. And so you cannot live a lie. You cannot walk in deception. You cannot walk in, in pretense and not harm and hurt yourself as a member of other members of the body of Christ is what he's trying to say. Then he says, be angry and do not sin. I read this from Psalm 5 in my quiet time this morning. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. David puts it this way. Commune with your heart on your bed and be at rest. And so what he's trying to say is what you put off is unrighteous anger. He says, be angry. 
There is a legitimate anger that we need to have. Listen, it's time for us to get angry with what the enemy is doing in our world, in, 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 in our country. It's time for the church to get so angry that we press into discovering the power of God to rise above and to become agents of transformation and healing in this world. Listen, it's not a time for passivity. It's not a time for just going along to get along. It's time for anger, righteous anger. But he's saying, don't let it be prolonged anger. Don't let it simmer. He said, resolve your anger before you go to sleep at night. He said, what? And give no place to the devil. Because if you go to sleep with unresolved anger, you're opening a door for the enemy. I don't want to say too much about this. I've taught this so many times in the freedom of forgiveness messages. But unresolved anger opens up a door. It gives the enemy a right to territory in my life. The word place there, topos, is land. You're giving him grounds. And the enemy is not going to build a Disney world. He's going to build a base of operations, a military base to steal, kill, and destroy if you give him place. So he says, be angry, but don't keep hold on to that anger. Resolve it before you go to sleep at night. Then let him who st stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good that he may have something to give him who has need. So what are you to put off? Stealing. What are you to put on? Labor. Good, solid labor with your hands, working with his hands. What is good that he may have something to give to him who has need. Why did the thief steal? Because of selfishness and greed. How are we to live now? We're to live motivated by this, that now as a child of God, I have my father's DNA and he is a generous father. And he's so generous in his love, in his goodness, in his kindness. And if you're born again of his spirit and you have his DNA within you, you are going to care about people. I, I tell you, I am challenged by Bev. Bev is one of the most giving people I know. She's amazing. Every day she she wakes up thinking of who she can be a blessing to. So the motivation that we now have for hard work is not to accumulate more riches, but to be givers, givers. Because the, the principles of the word of God, which we're going to look at next month, is this. As you are a sower, you're going to be a harvester. And so it's not that God is trying to deprive you in order to bless others. He's trying to bring more kingdom riches to you. And so he exhorts you to be a giver because you can't give without it coming back to you. That's what the scripture is thoroughly teaching. It started when God made a promise with, uh, with Noah after the flood. He said, as long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest will remain. It's a guarantee. It's as sure as can be. That's what farmers function by. That's what investors function by. That there will be a return on your sowing because that's what God made a promise to Noah. And when you see the rainbow in the sky, that's the guarantee of the promises of God. And so that's why he's trying to get you to become a giver, not because he's trying to deprive you so that somebody else will become rich. He's trying to get more of his kingdom resources and wealth to you. And so he's exhorting you to think in terms of 
that you're not earning a living, you're earning a giving. And through your giving, you are going to be blessed and you are going to prosper. Next concept. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it might impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So what are you putting off? Corrupt words. Corrupt communication is how the King James Version translates it. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. And the word corrupt there, that it, it's got the stench of death to it. It's deadly. But what is good for necessary edification, that it might impart grace to the hearers. <laughs> and so what you need to renew your mind with this, I have the power in my tongue to impart grace to hear us. The power of life and death is in my tongue. And I can either speak death or I can be speaking life. I can be imparting grace to the hearers. Wow, isn't that powerful? You have the power to impart grace to the hearers through your words. And then he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. In other words, what he's trying to renew our minds with is this, that the corrupt words, corrupt communication grieves the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he yearns over us with a godly jealousy that that seed which has been planted in in us will come to full fruit and so that it will be obvious and evident to all the world whose child you are because the nature of your father is coming through in your behavior in your attitudes in your words in your conduct in every area of your life you're a reflection of who the father is and the holy spirit is jealous over you for the manifestation of what is placed within you to be, to be manifested in and through your life. So don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And then this part. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. And there's the word, charizomai. The word that we looked at last week, which in other contexts is translated as freely giving. Uh, Romans 8.32 He who spared not his own son, but delivered him for, up for us all, how shall you not with him freely give us all things? And First Corinthians chapter 2 We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is from God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Here it is used in a different context. It is used in the context of forgiveness, being gracious to others as God has been gracious to you. So what are you to put off? Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking. And there's sort of a progression there. A bit starts with a bitter root, a bitter spirit. And then it's a boiling, seething anger. And then it's a bursting out anger, clamor, that's hollering and shouting. And then evil speaking is what you do afterwards when you Get on the prayer chain and share your burden with others. But really what you're doing, you're gossiping, you're speaking evil of someone because of what they did to you. He said, put it away from you with all malice. And malice is plotting to get evil. How do I repay you? How do I get even with you? And then he said, be kind to one another. 
<clears throat> tender-hearted, forgiving. And the word kindness is acts of kindness. Tender-hearted, splangitzomai. Comes from the root splangnoi, bowels of mercy, bowels of compassion. So he's saying, be kind to one another, compassionate, giving grace to one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. And so here's what we renew our mind with. I am a new creation. I am a child of God. I've been born into his family. I have received his DNA. I have his seed abiding in me. For me not to walk in gr kindness, compassion and forgiveness is to deny the very birth that I have received in Jesus Christ. Be imitators of God. That doesn't mean that you just change your behavior, but what he's saying is this, what is on the inside of you needs to manifest and come through your life. You can't make it happen, but the DNA of God within you be imitators of God as beloved children. He's loved you. He has put his, his spirit within you, he has put his nature within you. And then he says, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. So the example that we have is the example of Christ being willing to offer himself to God as a sweet smelling savor. And so God forgives me for Christ's sake, as God in Christ has forgiven you. He's shown me his grace. He's shown me his kindness. He's shown me his mercy because of what Christ has done. And so that is the, the motivation. That is the example that we follow is Christ's self-giving love. And based upon that, God has forgiven us. God has canceled every debt that we have. Now, I want to get into the words for forgiveness for a moment. In my series on the freedom of forgiveness, I made a statement that the word charizomai for forgiveness only appears here in Ephesians chapter 4. I was wrong about that. Jesus uses it in Luke chapter 7 and verses 42 and 43 when uh, he was in the home of Simon the Pharisee, and this woman came in off the street. You, you know the whole story. And Simon was critical of Jesus when he didn't rebuke this woman, who was obviously a loose woman off the street, when she poured out her heart, love, and devotion over Jesus. And so Jesus said, Simon, I've got something to tell you. And he spoke about the the two servants who owed their master one five hundred denarii and the the other fifty denarii, and because they could not pay, he freely forgave them both. Charizomai, and then he said to Simon, "Who do you think will love him the more?" And then Simon said, "I suppose the one to whom he forgave more." Charizomai. He also uses this word for forgiveness in 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 10, where he exhorts the Corinthian church now to forgive the man who was disciplined in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And so he's saying, don't withhold forgiveness from him. Show him grace now, lest sh Satan should get an advantage over us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So it is used in those two occurrences as well as forgiveness. And here 
as well. The other two words for forgiveness are the, the most commonly used one in the Greek New Testament, and it, there's an equivalent in Hebrew. It's also the common one in the Hebrew language, is the word aphesis, forgiveness. It's a legal term. It means literally to cancel a debt, cancel an obligation under a previously binding contract. So divorce was spoken of as a forgiveness. It was the word used for divorce because you were canceling the previously binding contract of marriage between two parties, aphesis. And so it's a legal term. It's the canceling of a debt that somebody owes you. The second word that is used, and Jesus used the two together in the story in Matthew chapter 18, it's the word to loose, to release, to release from the obligation to make a payment. He uses it of the servant who owed him a massive amount of money, and because he couldn't repay it, the master freely forgave him. And that same servant goes out and finds the fellow servant who owes him a pittance by comparison and says, pay me what you owe me. And the guy begs for mercy and he throws him in debtor's prison. Jesus concludes that story with the dire warning that so also will God do to you if you don't from your heart forgive your brother. He'll, he'll hand you over to the tormentors. So that's to loose, to loose from the obligation. When he couldn't pay, the Bible says that the Lord forgave, the master forgave him, loosed him and forgave him the debt, released him, and forgave him the debt, uses both those words there. And then this word, to be gracious to, charizomai. I want to just expand upon this because this is vitally important. Now, I don't want you to forget the transition that is marked by Jesus' death on the cross. I pointed out to you last month that it took the death of Jesus to initiate the new covenant. If Jesus had not died, the testament, the new testament in his blood could not have kicked in and become operative. Let me read to you Hebrews 9 and verse 16 again. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Therefore, not even the first testament and so on. So what he's saying is the testament is not in force until the death of the testator. So so many people are confused about this because before Jesus died on the cross, Jesus was living, functioning and teaching under the old covenant. And so I've been confused about that even as far as my teaching on forgiveness is concerned. Because it's easy to go to some of the conditional clauses of Jesus' teaching on forgiveness in the New Testament and apply those under the, under the New Covenant since the cross of Jesus Christ. Let me use an illustration. In the Lord's Prayer, we are taught to pray. And, you know, I've said this before, the Lord's Prayer is not a new covenant prayer. It's an interim prayer that Jesus gave to his disciples because they said, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. Is that all you want from the Father? Don't you want the riches of your inheritance? See, give us this day our daily bread is so limiting. It's, it's, 
It limits you to an old covenant reality. In the same way, when Jesus said, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do you really want God to forgive you to the degree that to the to, in the proportion to your forgiveness of others? And Jesus came back, circled back to that truth when he finished his prayer teaching his disciples. And he said this in Matthew chapter 6 and verse uh, 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So under the old covenant, God's forgiveness to you is contingent upon you forgiving others. It is dependent upon you forgiving others. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Aren't you glad we're not living under that covenant? Aren't you glad that Jesus died on the cross? And what happened when he died on the cross? I'm so glad you asked that question. I want to point you to Ephesians chapter 1. Let's look at what Paul says about what happened on the cross and the result of Jesus' death on the cross. Blessed be, this is Ephesians 1 and verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters. I could add in there, by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in, belo in the beloved. Now listen to this. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the way we forgive others. In proportion to the way we give forgiveness to others. Is that what the, when you, the Bible says? No. According to the riches of his grace. Hallelujah. I am so glad that God doesn't anymore forgive us based on our forgiveness of others. But he forgives us because of the riches according to the riches of his grace. Man, I told you. That there's such a revelation of the generosity of grace and nowhere does it appear as large as right here in the reality that God has freely forgiven us, not because we forgive others but according to the riches of his grace. Glory be to God. And so under the old covenant, his forgiveness depends on our forgiveness. Under the new covenant, his forgiveness is according to the riches of his grace. And now because of that, and because I'm forgiven, and because I have been, what did he say? We have been adopted as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. We are adopted. We're placed in his family. We are new creations. We have his DNA. We have his character. We have his spirit. And because of that, 
our behavior changes toward others and we walk in generous forgiveness toward those who wrong us and offend us. It's all based on his forgiveness of us. It's all based on the fact that he has shown us this immense grace immense grace, grace beyond all comparison, grace that we can barely conceive of simply because he's so good. He's so good. Jesus came and revealed what the father is like and he freely forgave. You remember with the man who was lame and the four friends brought him to Jesus and they let him down through the roof. And when Jesus saw their faith, the Bible says, whose faith? The faith of the four men who had the audacity to lift the tiles off the roof and let the man. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the man, son, your sins are forgiven given you. (laughs) And the Pharisees had a fit. Who is this that says your sins are forgiven you? And Jesus said, okay, just to show that I have the authority and the power to forgive sins on this earth. He said to the man, rise, take up your bed and walk. And he went his way. God is looking for ways to penetrate, to pierce the darkness of men's souls with his forgiving grace. He forgives us according to the riches of his grace. I've mentioned this before and I'm going to mention it again. James Klinkscale was the administrator of the church and the Christian school that our children went to. He was on staff at Lake Country Christian School. And James Klingscale left there and he became a chaplain with hospice in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And he would write to me, send me these emails about ministering. And he said this to me. He said, I have been at the bedside and I, I can't remember the last figure he gave me. It was it was in the, a couple of hundred. He said, I've been at the bedside of a couple of hundred people. And these are my observations. The people who die with difficulty are Christians. The people who are worst in dying are preachers. He said, the people who die most easily are lost people. He said, this is what I do. Now, some of you are going to get offended by this, and I don't care, because Jesus did give us the authority to forgive sins. James Klingscale says, when I'm at the bedside of somebody who is about to pass and they're lost, I take their hand and I say to them, in the name of Jesus, I pronounce you forgiven and ready for heaven. Your loved ones are waiting for you. Jesus is waiting for you. Take his hand and step over to the other side. And he said, they die with total peace in their hearts and smile and joy on their faces. He said, now the people who die with difficulty are Christians. Why? Because we've been programmed with the lies about God and his grace. We have believed that everything is conditional and preachers are the worst. Why? Because preachers have preached a hard word so many times to their people about performance. And as a result, they get to the end. And like my mother, the night that she died, said to my sister in the ambulance, I wonder if I've done enough. What a tragedy. 
We're forgiven based on the riches of his grace, based on what Jesus did. He gave himself an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. It's time for us to embrace that grace so that we can forgive ourselves and forgive others. I want to take you back to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. And I want to point out something to you. Be kind to one another. There he uses the word Alleluia, which is the Greek word for one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Actually, the word is heautus, forgiving yourselves, even as God in Christ forgave you. And in a secondary way, it is forgiving amongst yourselves. And it's reiterated again in Colossians chapter 3. But he's also emphasizing it's important to forgive yourself. Why? Because the hardest time we have often is forgiving ourselves for the past because we have not accepted and embraced the fact that God has forgiven us freely, not because of our repentance, but according to the riches of his grace and based on what Jesus has done. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. That's what Jesus did. And that's on the basis of that aroma of Christ's sacrifice on the cross that has ascended to heaven. And the father is is disposed to us. He is placated from his wrath under the old covenant. And now he is able to show mercy and show kindness and show grace to us. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their iniquities against you. He's not keeping a record of wrongs that you have done. He's not holding up before you all the things that you're guilty of and so on. Let me take you as we close to Colossians chapter 2. And you being dead, this is verse 14, in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Here he's using the word for the breaking of laws. This is not just hamartia missing the mark. This is your trespasses under the old covenant, having wiped out. And this is why he could forgive you all your trespasses. He's wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against you, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. That handwriting of ordinances was the charge sheet, just as when Jesus died and Pilate wrote and put on the cross the accusation against Jesus. And he said, King of the Jews. And of course, the, the religious leaders were irate and said, please change it and say, he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate said, what I've written, I've written the king of the Jews. That was the charge. Now, the same thing has happened to us. The charge sheet of every law that you have broken has been nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ. And so there is, it's gone. It's gone. There is no basis upon which God can charge you for your wrongs of the past, present and future, because the law that was against you has been taken away. You have died to the law, Romans 7, 4, through the body of Christ, and he has freely forgiven you. Ha. Now listen to the, the, what he says. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Listen, Satan is disarmed. 
Why? Because the basis upon which he could charge you was the basis of the law. And to the degree that you are living with condemnation and guilt and shame and fear is the degree to which the law still has a stronghold in your mind. If you are renewed in the spirit of your mind you and know who the Father is and know what Jesus has done and know who you are as a son and a daughter of God, then the enemy cannot accuse you. He dis, he's disarmed in your life. He's disarmed because the charge sheet that he used to accuse you has been put away on the cross. Who, beloved, receive it. It's so important that you receive it. Man, I, I, this is when we've had baptismal services. I, this is the, the thing that I love to come to because he speaks about baptism. He says, buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. You were circumcised with a circumcision not made with hands. It's time for us to get circumcised from the effects of the law and begin to live in the reality of the new covenant. And that reality is that I'm freely forgiven. I'm freely forgiven. And so it's time to forgive myself, to be gracious to myself, to be kind to myself and to be kind then to others. I want to tell you this. You can't be kind and gracious to others if you're not being gracious to yourself. It starts with you knowing who you are and being gracious to yourself and letting the grace of God transform you and giving you that confidence in his present that feeling at home in his presence, being being relaxed in his presence and not always on tenterhooks, worrying about, am I doing the right thing? Am I right with God? Am I, am I up to date on my obedience? Am I repented up to date? All that stuff that religion tells you. Hey, 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 he forgave you. He's forgiven. You've received the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, not according to your repentance, not according to to your behavior, not according to your deserving, but it's according to the riches of his grace. This is what he says you're already blessed with. You're already blessed with Ephesians 1 says he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. You're adopted into his family. You've received the forgiveness of sins. You've received redemption. You've been brought back out of the bondage of the enemy. Beloved, receive it. Receive his grace. Receive his forgiveness. Hallelujah. It's your birthright because you are adopted into his family. And so he says in Ephesians, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, being gracious to one another, to yourself and to one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Aren't you glad? that he doesn't forgive you according to your forgiveness of others. Now, let me say a word about that. Just as there is no basis in the new covenant for the enemy to condemn you, so there is no basis in the new covenant for you to hold offenses against others. If you hold offenses against others, you have to do it by reverting to old covenant. There is no basis for condemnation, for judgment, for holding offenses in this covenant 
of grace. How can you? He's for freely forgiven you. Now you freely forgive. And so as James warns us in James chapter two, when I hold offenses, when I judge things by external appearance, he said, you don't have the same kind of faith as Jesus, the Lord of glory. And he uses the illustration of a man coming into the fellowship who's dressed in the finest. And you say, come sit up here. And then somebody else comes in in rags and tatters and you say, sit there at the back. He said, what are you doing? You're showing yourself to be judges based upon the law. And he goes on to say this. He says, judgment without mercy will be shown to the one who judges without mercy. Why? Because God has shown you mercy. So there is no place in the new covenant for you to revert to holding offenses because the moment you hold offenses against someone, you're going back to the law. And James says you're going to be judged by the law when you judge others by that same law. Judgment without mercy will be shown. So you cannot afford. Many years ago, I had a friend who was an elder in a church down in a church in Florida. And he called me one night and he said, I need some counsel from you. I said, I've just discovered that our pastor has been having an affair. And he told me the story. The young lady had come to him and told him what had happened. And he said, and he said, I, I really don't know what to do. And I can remember this just spontaneously coming out of my spirit. And I said to him, the first thing I want to say is this. If I were you, I would err on the side of mercy because the way you judge this man will determine the way God has to deal with you. You want to be generous and you want to be merciful and you want to be kind. Now, that came out of my, you know, came out of my spirit. And I believe that's true. According to James chapter two, judgment without mercy will be shown to the one who judges without mercy. And then he says, mercy triumphs over judgment or mercy is superior to judgment. It is better to err on the side of mercy because when I am merciful, Jesus said in Matthew 5, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. As he which has called you is holy, so be holy. And then in, in the, the parallel in Luke, he says, Be merciful as your Father is merciful. The holiness of God is manifested in his capacity to be merciful and kind to undeserving people. And that's who you are. That's your DNA. That's what you have been born with. And so it's time for us as God's people to walk in graciousness, in mercifulness, in kindness, in compassion toward those who are erring, toward those who have fallen, instead of being judgmental and harsh. The spirit of this age is so judgmental, so critical. It is so, it is tearing people apart based on all kinds of judgments that we make of one another. Those who have and those who have not, those who are vaccinated, those who are unvaccinated, etc., etc., etc. It just doesn't matter. It's so important for us to walk in forgiveness, to walk in kindness, to walk in compassion toward Others, no matter what their position might be, no matter what their status might be, that's who we are.
That's your DNA. That is who you have been created to be. And so I, my exhortation to you is this. There is a generosity to God's love, His grace toward you. And through that generous grace, you have freely, freely been forgiven. And so it is incumbent upon you as his child, born of his spirit with his DNA within you, adopted into his family to be a reflection of who the father is and for you to be merciful and for you to be kind and generous in your forgiveness toward others. And it starts with you forgiving yourself. Let yourself out of the prison of condemnation and guilt and shame. At this past conference for Shop Fix Academy in Nashville, I was tasked with teaching a breakout session on what do you do to recover from a major setback? And the major thing that I dealt with was shame and blame. And shame and blame, we internalize the guilt and the feelings of failure and all the rest of it. And we have to learn to forgive ourselves. One man who was sitting on the front row who had come to that conference said to me, how do you forgive yourself? And so I began to share with him. And then Bev, Bev was sitting next to him and said to him, do you know God? And he said, yes, but I don't know how to find him. And Bev just said, oh, don't worry about finding him. He has found you. And she ministered to him right there and then. How do you forgive yourself? God has been gracious to you. And so when you receive his forgiveness, you can forgive yourself and you can forgive others and let them out of a prison of obligation. Let them out of the bondage of holding them to their, their past behavior. Let it go. Let it go. It's not worth it. Forgive freely because you have been forgiven freely, not according to your repentance, not according to your performance, not according to your works, but according to the riches of his grace. Oh, his grace is so generous. And I want you to receive it this month. Father, in the name of Jesus, I'll just lift up everyone who is listening to this message to you. And I want to thank you, first of all, that we are forgiven. Not according to our repentance, not according to our deserving, but according to the riches of your grace. Oh, God, let the Holy Spirit burn that truth into us our spirits into our hearts, that we might be set free from shame and guilt and fear that comes from the accusations that we make against ourselves as we listen to the voice of the enemy, the accuser of the brethren. Father, thank you that you have forgiven us freely because of the, the riches of your grace in Christ Jesus. And that is predicated on the fact that Jesus gave himself an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. Thank you, Lord, that the aroma of Jesus sacrifice stifles out all the stench of our past behavior. Thank you. That sweet aroma takes away the nausea 
of stuff from our past. Thank you that you have received that sacrifice on our behalf and you proved it by raising him from the dead and then by sending the Spirit on the day of Pentecost to indwell us and to convince us that we are your children. He is the Spirit of adoption who who tells us continually that we have been set in place as sons and daughters. Now I'm asking for that truth to burn into our hearts. Oh Lord, set those free who continually live with the fear of the other shoe dropping, with the dread of what might happen, of the dread even of facing God one day. Lord, I cancel out that picture of the judgment of God because God, you've already judged our sin in Christ Jesus and you have declared over us, you are righteous and you can never rescind that. You have justified us, not based on anything that we have done, but based on your grace and based on the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. You cannot then declare us to be unrighteous. You cannot ever hold against us that which has been covered. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you, Lord, that in your generous grace, you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so right now in Jesus' name, I just declare that that spirit of fear, guilt, and shame goes and leaves us right now. And we receive that spirit of power, love, and of a sound mind to be renewed in the spirit of our minds through the truth of the finished work of Jesus and the forgiveness that we have received based upon that finished work. Thank you that you've forgiven us freely by your grace and we receive it, Lord. We receive it. We forgive ourselves and we forgive those who have wronged us now, not because we are obligated to by our fear that you won't forgive us if we don't, but by the fact that you have freely forgiven us. And now as your beloved children, we walk in love and we freely give forgiveness to others. This is the conclusion of this message. You've been listening to the ministry of John and Beverly Sheesby. For more information on this and other available teachings, please visit our website at www.liberatedliving.com. God bless you, and thank you for listening.